Ladies and gentlemen, it's Monday. I can't tell y'all today because we might use this show later down the line. Because our shows be so good, we use them multiple times. See what I did there? That's called a rhyme, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John Browner. You're joining John Browner and Jason Lawhead as we're joining you in your car or on your phone or on your computer via YouTube for the Browner and Lawhead show, which comes to you live via the Mightier 1090 ESPN if you're in your car. And like I said, if you are doing it any other way, you're using it through the iTunes podcast store or YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, Santa's little helper here, Jason Jason Lawhead, is in the building. What's up, man? You in the Christmas spirit? Yeah, man. I told you last week, you know, I I, I get the Christmas spirit. Well, you know, um, obviously when I was a kid, I was, you know, a big family and all that kind of stuff. And then as I kind of grown into adulthood and real life took over and a lot of trials and tribulations going through it, it was not really big on my picture while I was alone. But, uh, you know, luck would have it in life. I found a great, great girl and it kind of reevaluated things. And uh, yeah, man. Um, so over the last course of some, several years, I've appreciated it again, kind of, you know, like like my childhood a little bit more and uh, sharing it with somebody that you love. And you got to, you know, you got a kid, you know, you understand what the what the Christmas spirit at least provides and um so I, i'm blessed i had a good year i turned 50 we, we, the things have been good since the since the back end of lockdown and you know getting to do a show with you and being married and uh you know comedy all the good things that are happening i'm in a christmas spirit man and uh, over the last few years more and more i get even more in the christmas spirit so i'm looking at my christmas tree up here in the in the studio room I, got I gotta my- tell you the one thing the one thing for me that literally revived Christmas, because I don't believe in Santa Claus because he's not real. Sorry, kids, if you're in right. the car with your parents. They paid for those <laughs> things. You should respect <laughs> them and love them for it. Uh the thing that revived me is that a child, because yeah, I would I grew up like really poor, and there were not a lot of people in my family as an excuse for why we didn't get things. We didn't right. get things because we were poor. It wasn't a lot of us, it was just me and my sister, and we didn't get nothing. And so after the age of like eight. Christmas became real hard, man, because you see everybody getting stuff and then you're yeah. not getting anything. And so you just start to devalue it because it becomes a negative memory. And so as you get older, you start realizing when you have a kid what the spirit of Christmas is about. And that has turned me back on for Christmas. And so now I'm, I'm yeah. a big fan of the tree. I'm a big fan nice. of, of the season and, and, and having my daughter celebrate the joy of the holiday and not the false idol that is Santa Claus. Yeah, no, no doubt. And it isn't about what we get. And, uh, you know, we weren't poor growing up, but we sure weren't rich. We, You know, my parents were teachers. We had seven kids. And so um, we didn't get the best stuff. We got fun stuff. You know, we got gifts, but we didn't get a lot of them because there were seven kids to go around. And we didn't get always the best. I remember one year I got a bike, like a BMX bike. I think I was 12. And pound for pound, the greatest gift I ever got from, like, in any type of childhood, right? Like it was the timing of my age. Every other kid had BMX bikes in the neighborhood that I knew. I was one of the few that was still riding an old Schwinn. I was getting picked on for it, you know, a (laughs) hand-me-down Schwinn, you know, old school. And so I remember that being like just huge. And um, so that was like the great, but like, like, like you said, family, you having a kid, me being uh, blessed enough to, to, to find a, a partner in life and share all that. And she's a big, christmas um and she kind of uplifted my my uh, view and 
you know, re- gave me kind of a, a rebirth of uh, love and Christmas again. And yeah, this is uh, this is kind of feeling like, you know, the best Christmas ever in a long time um, with everything that's been going on. So you I'm in the mood, the- man. I'm going to wear this hat every day until oh. Christmas is over. I wear it around the house all the time. It's warm. It keeps my head warm <laughs> and I enjoy it. I've been driving around like I'll go to the supermarket later. Maybe you know, I'll wear it in there and say Merry Christmas to the clerk and try to be nice and have a smile. And uh, yeah, so that's where I'm at. I think Christmas came early for a lot of people mm. and, and around Petco Park. People who have been supporting the Padres for a lifetime. Christmas came real early for you in form of a signing. We'll get to that. Uh, there's a, a, a conversation got killed last night. We'll definitely break down some of that, what happened in the uh, Sunday night football game. The Heisman Trophy was given away, and I don't think anyone cares. And we'll do a little NFL roundup at the end of the show. But first and foremost, Jason, mm-hmm. what is the number one thing you want an owner to do if you are a fan of a, a baseball team or any team? Yeah, I want him to be aggressive. I want him to, uh, you know, if, uh, if you know, I want him to address what needs to be addressed and be aggressive. Don't just be aggressive and spend because, you know, uh, something might be out there that doesn't help you, um, no matter what team, you know, we're talking about what sport, but address and be aggressive. And, it, you know, that's the best you can do, right? It's like putting an offer in on a house. You may have a great offer. You may have been aggressive. You may have walked through the house a bunch of times and really studied the house, but you might just not get that house because somebody right. else outbid you and that was just the way it went. And, the and nature. You're, back, you're back to the square one of looking for another really good house that you can depend on. And um, and, and as we're talking about what, you know, what the Padres have done here, uh, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk about it. So uh, I think it's a great roll of the dice in a sense that, yeah, there's some people that are saying, hey, 11 years, all that money. He's this old at the end of the contract. That's not the point. Um, that's not the point. You deal with that at the end of the at the end of the day. And, you know, the designated hitter will uh, in the National League will extend a little bit more of his prime years, maybe take that best four years left, you know, maybe make it six. But yeah, that's not the point. The point is you're looking at Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove and their window, right? Darvish, mm-hmm. Snell, Musgrove. The, you've got to get everything around them until those arms are gone and, and they're not productive. And you've got a window. So four years, whatever, however, however long you can hang on to Soto, however long you can hang on to Manny, uh, you keep Bogarts and you you find this is the window. And in year 9, 10, 11 on that contract, if – you're if you're back in the basement of the NL West because finances have put you there, but there's a there's a World Series trophy in the case. You care. It's worth it. I can tell you right now, the one thing I always want for my owners to cut checks and shut up. Mm-hmm. There's nothing yes. more than I hate than the Jerry Jones type of owner. That's or right. a a a uh uh the guy who owns Jim Ursay or Daniel Snyder. I I hate uh I like Mark Cuban as a person, as an owner, no thanks. I want my owner to cut checks, be rich, go on your yacht, and cheer for the team from the front row. Right. I I, I hate an owner who operates like James Dolan. I hate an owner who operates like like the owner of the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Bulls. Mm -hmm. I hate owners who are either cheap or who are always in the way. Peter Seidler has proven 
to be the Goldilocks of owners. I will cut the check and you will not see me again until somebody does something wrong. And that's, that's pretty much how he's operating. And it's genius. I, I will give the Padres ownership 1,000% credit for the one thing that matters. They listen to their fans. This market isn't large like the Los Angeles market, but we're not a small market either, as we're clearly seeing, but as many people are in San Diego County, that they plan on reaching. This isn't New York. This isn't Chicago. The reporters aren't ravenous people. The fan base here spoke loud and clear. If you give us something to support, we will over-support you. And in return, Peter Seiler says, oh, okay, let me do y'all one more. Every offseason, trade deadline. We need more, go get it. We need more, go get it. And that's what that's all you want for an owner to give a fan base is a level of competence and competitiveness on the field. And that's what he's doing. He's got a good manager who can prove to be great coming up next season if he can get the team over the hump. You've got four stars in your lineup. Whether it, I don't care how you line them up. Soto, Bogart, Tatis, and, and Manny. Those four dudes, there aren't four better hitters in, in, in all of baseball that will be playing one after the other, after the other, after the other. Their roster of big names is balanced. Xander Bogart is in his early 30s. Manny is in his early 30s. Tatis in his early 20s. Soto in his early 20s. And those are your four best guys. Yeah. Those are your four best guys. And so anybody who cheers for a team, you want Peter Seiler as your type of owner. We don't have any connection to the Padres as a station or as a show. They don't give us any money, and they don't give us any. They don't give us anything. We buy our own tickets. This is not me uh, uh, piping for them. No, this is me telling you facts about what I think. I think 100% this has been a response to the Chargers up and leaving and the Peter Seiler going, wait a minute, there's a window here. I'm a smart businessman. There's a gaping hole of sports fans who want to spend their money on something. We got 162 of these. We'll take it. And he's cleaned, he, he's cleaned them out. He's cleaned them out. Xander Bogarts' contract, the length of it, it sounds crazy, 11 years. The money sounds crazy, over $200 million. Look at the per year. Not really. Look mm -mm. at the thesis per year. Not, Not in these really. economics, no. Look, thank you. Look at Manny's per year. Not really. I mean, maybe after that. The only person on this roster I'm really worried about per year is Soto. Because I think he's going to shoot for $500 million. And at that point, he might be the 15-year contract guy. So if you give him 15 years at $500 million, okay, I'm on board with that. Because that's going to average around 30 to 30, 25 to $30 million. So I'm okay with that. But the people whining about the length and the, the size of these contracts, man, listen, if you can pull a World Series out of the hat for this organization and this city that's never won a damn thing, no one will ever talk about anything else. Look, they beat the Dodgers, and people are still on cloud nine about that. I was there. I'm one of those people. So I think what he's been able to do with the, now the signing of Xander Bogarts after going after Aaron Judge, and Aaron Judge just wanted to be a Yankee, which respect and hats off to him for, for, for going back to where he started. Then they went after Trey Turner, who wanted to play in Philly. Okay, respect that. We'll see you at some point down the road. And then they went and got the next best thing, which is a guy who's equally as good as Trey Turner. So 
I love what they've done this offseason. They've still got holes to fill, but you've done the big splash. You've gotten your name back out there again, and you've made yourself a destination to be for free agents. Yeah, and you made a good point. You made a, a third add-on when you asked me, what do I want out of an owner? And I said, a guy that addresses it and a guy that uh, makes the offers. You also said, get out the way. Yes. You know, and that's the biggest thing. That's Seidler's biggest strength, I think, in this commitment. It's obviously commitment first, but uh, get out the way. And he's he's allowed A.J. Preller to be the face and the voice of the front office solely on his own mm-hmm. without even a hint of anybody looking over his shoulder. They went out and got a baseball man, man, to to manage this team. Bob Melvin puts the man in manager on this team. And you're right. that for, Those four players in succession in the batting order, there isn't a better consecutive four guy. If they all played for different teams – those four guys would bat in a consecutive all-star game order. Right. I yeah. mean, that's an all-star game order one through four if they were all on different teams and got voted onto an all-star game. Um, so, yes, uh, Darvish coming off of a year where he not only proved that he can be a top-tier ace, but he could, he could be the guy that you can go hand the ball to in the playoffs and know you can depend on him. Okay, Snell showed a lot of guts this year, you know, uh, getting through the early part of the season and then riding a strong wave to end it and and getting into postseason and working on a jams and and just kind of, you know, uh, being that kind of crafty old veteran with still a lot of gas left. And then you've got the young guy Musgrove, the future of the rotation there. And like I said, 28 was it 280? For 11 years, that's less than around $26 million a year in change. Right. So in this market, that's a steal for Bogarts, right? And you saw, you know, what the Dodgers were able to do after they got Mookie Betts. It was a big, big change of culture there. They always had a big payroll. They always had good players. But it was Mookie Betts coming in that really made the Dodgers that type of team that you went, wow, man, these guys are 90 and 40, and they're going to win a World Series. I go to a World Series. They took Boston to the ropes. Um, and they're always in it. They're always in the mix. Um, and so I think Bogarts is as great as Machado is and where they got him when they needed him. They brought Tatis up, you know, they, they, they found him, cultivated him. Uh, they went out and made the Soto at the trade deadline, huge splash there. This might be the move that turns the Padres into what the Dodgers turned into when they got Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a, and I am like, any person watching, I just want it to work. That's yeah. it. I just want it to work. This idea that one person can do this, other person, I just want it to work. Just like this conversation about yeah. Tua and Herbert. I just want it to work. I just want people to see the facts. If you watched last night's game, and let me give you a little backstory on this. I'm a huge Justin Herbert guy. I've never been a Tua guy. I've always thought he was too small at the NFL level. I've started to get hurt. And I never thought his, his number one thing was accuracy. I never thought he could throw a deep NFL ball. So when this uproar or this wave of, of social media, Sam Acho level of people saying that Justin Herbert's overrated and two is a better quarterback, I thought there was a troll. I thought it had a troll factor to it. But these people were serious. And yeah. luckily, because all things in sport eventually meet rubber meets the road, these two guys played each other. And a Charger defense with – the whole back end basically blown out with injuries. Pass rusher injured. You're missing 
I think they said six guys on defense. Tua yeah. looked terrible last night. Tua looked terrible. He finished 10 for 28, 145 with a touchdown. Only sacked twice. But if you watch that game, there's no way you walked away from that game thinking that those two dudes are in the same class. You can't. That's impossible. One guy is literally carrying the team, and the other guy can barely complete a pass if the, if the defender didn't fall down. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think uh, Miami did themselves a disservice in, ga- in a game plan situation where I thought they probably should have ran it more and even ran two or more. And I know that they're scared after early season, um, but against that run defense, um, I thought Miami probably could have found ways to get Tua out there and maybe run it at seven or eight times. And um, it probably would have helped him in the in the passing game because you're right. I mean, 10 targets to Tyreek Hill, but only four catches. Uh, that's a bad number for them, and there's no doubt. And even before this game, even if the way if you would have took the, the 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 window of the best games Tua was playing when the Dolphins were playing their best in that in the heap of that winning streak, Justin Herbert's always been the better quarterback. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder could see that. It's Tua's in a much better situation. Herbert's the better quarterback. Two is in a better situation mm-hmm. with weapons, with the way Miami's ownership coaching. has kind of got, yeah, coaching. Just you know, there, there's just they're just kind of running things better for him. They've got they they got him the guys, and I always thought that Tua would have. I've never put him in that class with Herbert just off the eye test in the last couple of years, but I always thought, well, with this kind of with this kind of weaponry around him, with with their commitment, with they with the way they've been playing defense and and the 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 roster that they have, he's good enough to get them to where they might need to go. He's good enough with everything they've put around him. And the, the sad part is, is I, I, we're seeing how good Justin Herbert is because Justin Herbert has really lifted this team yes. with not a lot around him, at least in the sense of guys that are on the field there's injuries around him all over the place he there's on paper they've got tons of talent it's just they're not walking out of the locker room right Justin Herbert the so, talent stays on the paper the problem is they don't go into the field <laughs> exactly so this was a huge 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 win not just for the Chargers and their 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 chances but for um you know uh kind of the Brandon Staley, uh, the belief of how they can finish the season, um, you know, it, for Justin Herbert himself to say, you know what, even with all these guys down, uh, there's other guys on this team that will that are out there that will will and can rally around me to beat a good football team in prime time like the Dolphins. So um, no doubt Herbert's the way better quarterback Two is in the way better situation. But um, Miami's got some tough games coming down the stretch. Buffalo uh, next week. Yeah. And so we're going to really see what Tua is made of. And we'll see what uh, Mike McDaniel's made of as the coach and how they're going to game plan. Because I think he, uh, I think he, I think he, he left a lot of, you know, they still ran for 92 yards and didn't run the ball much. They ran for around five. And Tua got out there and, and made some moves on his legs when he did run the few times he did. And I thought, you know, their fear of maybe getting him leveled, uh, you know, you, sometimes you can't play with that fear. Sometimes you got to go and say, hey, th- this is where we can maybe, you know, expose them a little bit. And um, I'll see. We'll see if McDaniel can adjust going in the future and, and depending on or relying on Tua or trusting Tua more to, see, to run. 
I like Mike McDaniel as a coach. I 100% think he's 100% think he's the right coach for Tua. Mm-hmm. But I will what I will tell you though is I think he bought into what was going on last night too. I think he went I think they took that field wanting to show that Tua was better than Herbert. Mm-hmm. Because in that building, that's a good point. They might believe that. And so they get out there and they want to show the world what they believe that's in their locker room. They want to show the world that Tua is comparable to Herbert. Hell, that we think Tua is better than Herbert. Then yeah, the he- game starts. And you can't necessarily get out of a game plan because you went into this game plan to yep. prove something. Because they were running the ball for really big chunks. It just so happens, again, they're in a pissing contest. And the problem that's is great you did it with a with a fire hose and you out here pissing with a garden hose. That's and you, a great and, and that's point. the result that you got. So I, I'm glad that conversation is over. We can move on. And now it's Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields, which we'll get to and next year at a different time. But when Brown and Law comes back, we'll talk to y'all around the NFL some more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Brown and Lawhead. I'm John Browner, as always, joined by my co-host and world traveling uh, Santa enthusiast, Jason Lawhead. Get them list together, kids. Get them ho, list together. Ho, ho. We're coming to you live on the Mightier 1090 ESPN. If you're in your car, if you are watching us via YouTube or you're listening to us via iTunes podcast, we appreciate that. Like, share, and subscribe that thing because that's how we grow this flower in a day of rain like we've had today. Um, We talked about Justin Herbert basically killing the conversation on who's better between him and Tua. We talked about Xander Bogarts coming to the Padres and why we think the ownership group is moving in the right direction and why I love them. We also talked about Jason basically being uh, Santa Claus, but yeah. we'll we'll get to that. We'll continue that debate throughout the holiday season. If a tree falls in the woods, does anyone hear it? That's like an age-old question. Hmm. Who who won the Heisman last year? Last year, Heisman with, Trophy without winner. People God, in that's your funny. car, people in your car, without googling. Who won the Heisman Trophy last year? Who won the Heisman Trophy last year? Because I can tell you right Bryce, now. Bryce Young from Alabama? I don't know. I think it was. I don't know. And I only know Caleb Williams won because he won it the other day. I, I think the Heisman Trophy of all the awards, NFL MVP, NBA MVP, uh, baseball MVP, that's another one that's lost a lot of luster. But – the award that has the least amount of gas at this point is the Heisman Trophy Award. Because it never really goes to the best player. It goes to mm-hmm. the best player on the best team. And I think that has taken the air out of it for me. Because last year, I mean, last night, the other night, you can't tell me that there isn't a better position player out there than Stetson Bennett. You can't tell me that there's not a better player out there than C.J. Stroud. But the 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 enormity of the quarterback position only allows for these guys to be the ones present. They're running backs across the country carrying their teams with crazy numbers. They can't even get an invite. So this award, as as prestigious as it once was, I just feel like it's lost a lot of its fastball. It has. It's lost so much luster, and it be, it's become a, uh, a it's a, become a system award. And that's yeah. why a guy like, you know, the, the Kyler Murray's and the Caleb Williams win this award now and the running back doesn't because systems have changed and the systems and, you know, like you said, statistics just put these quarterbacks in this upper echelon 
And it used to be, you know, that award used to go to guys like Ron Dane, right? Rozier, uh, you know, guys that could just, you know, uh, San Diego you know. State had a guy up for the Heisman. Like it, there was once a time yeah. where running the football meant something, right? And it used to go to those guys, and you know, you would, you would, the the, the criteria would be weighed on, you know, the defenses they played against, and you know, the teams that they played against, and you know, they, you know, they is who they ran the ball against, and and it kind of the Heisman Trophy kind of really changed when the system of offense has changed, and it's just become, you know, who's got the best stats at quarterback award. And it's, um, you know, I mean, when you when you sit there and you go, uh, you know, it kind of turned. It's almost like when Johnny Manziel won it, it, it just became that award. It just became, you know, the flashiest player, flashiest quarterback award instead of just like, you know, tough teeth in your face, banging off a bouncing off a defense alignment and carrying linebackers for five or six yards and seven yards of carry and guys that used to break big 10 and sec rushing records. That just doesn't happen anymore. And it's, it's, uh, it's lost its luster. Like I said, a few years ago, when Baker Mayfield won it, Saquon Barkley wasn't even one of the three finalists. It was <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and uh, I, I can't remember another quarterback. And, you know, you when you look at Saquon Barkley's numbers, the guy didn't fumble all year. He ran for almost 2,000 yards. Penn State went, you know, 11-2, uh, and two, uh, you know. And you go, you know, uh, uh, how is that? How is this guy not the, How is this guy not even a finalist? And that's the award now. And you're right. Here's it's a, lost its luster. Here's the last 10 winners. Johnny Menzel, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Derrick Henry, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, Devontae Smith, Bryce Young, Caleb Williams. Okay. So other than uh, – so Devontae Smith and Derrick Henry are the only non-quarterbacks that won it. Correct. Now, what I will say is last year – because I'm looking this up. I don't know offhand. I'm looking this up. Aiden Hutchinson, pass rusher for Michigan, was on the list. Didn't win. Uh – Trevor, nope, no Kyle Trask. Yeah, there's been a few defensive players on the list. Chase Young, nominee on the list in 2019. Mm-hmm. Chase Young, right? Uh, rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, so there, I mean, there's a lot of guys who make this list. Who, to me, in my opinion, like there's no reason why Chase Young shouldn't have been the Heisman Trophy winner. So I, I, the the award is totally biased towards the quarterback or the running back position. Because when Devonte Smith won it, people were like, "Whoa." But he he was literally the reason why they were successful. Of course. So and you couldn't deny Derrick Henry. I mean, you know right. that guy was just he was one of those throwback back. He was an old Ron Dane type of running back. He was yes. one of those guys that used to win it every year or was up for it every year. And uh, yeah, you know, it's just it's really like you said, it's lost its fastball. It's not even interesting. I used to watch it. I used to tune in for it. Right. It used to be a thing. It. Yeah, I don't tune in for it. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, it's like, it, you know, that, 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 that's like the, it's like the Academy Award version of best documentary. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody <laughs> cares. animated film. Get <laughs> yeah, out of here. Exactly. Whatever, Nobody man. cares. Cool, cool, cool. You know. Best voiceover in the, no, move, move. You know what people also don't care about? Best song. Like no one, no one cares right. about that. Best score. Right. Yeah, cool. <laughs> no, I'm, I want to see the movie. I think. I also think one of the things that really hurt this award is the financial aspect of what college football has turned into. I think the, the all the stuff around 
how Caleb Williams even got to USC. I think that has hurt the award. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much movement now in college football. It has kind of tainted the sport in a sense. Now, I'm not one person who's not – I'm not for immobility. I believe that you should be able to move wherever you want to move as long as these coaches can do the same out of their contracts. But at the same time, the integrity of the game has lost some luster. It, it, I just honestly believe that it has. And I don't think the reward, I don't think the award's going to rebound because who was the national champion two years ago? No one knows. No, and, and we do this for a living. Like yeah. we literally do this for a living. And if I, I think it was Alabama. It was probably Alabama two years ago because three years ago it was that LSU Burrow team. Right. And, and the last year Al- was Georgia. Alabama and then Georgia. Yeah. So and we just um, we do this for a living, and it took us a minute between the two of us to figure out who did it. I just think that the point college football has reduced itself to baseball now. It's a regional sport that most people can get behind now that they have a playoff. I think the playoff will give the I think the playoff will breathe more life into college football than anything has over the last 25 years. That's the new Heisman trophy is yes. the college football playoff. Because what you think about the names you just rattled off, especially the quarterback position, Manzel. Bust. bust. Mariota. Bust. bust. Winston. Bust. bust. Uh, who was a couple other? Mayfield. Pretty bust. much a bust. Murray on the verge of busting at this point, right? You Mark know, he's Ingram, like teetering. And maybe Mayfield had that great game, but he's shown those kind of flashes, and he'll probably come back to his cycle of having the one of the worst games ever the next week. Watch and it, maybe, uh, maybe he it. does. Whatever. To your bust. point, let's go back with some more. Sam Bradford. Bust. Bust. Tim Tebow. Bust. Bust. Troy Smith. Bust. Bust. Jason White. Bust. Bust. Matt Leinart. Bust. bust Eric Crouch, bust, bust. Chris Winky, bust. bust like Charles Woodson, 1997, the well, only defensive player to ever win the award. Charles Woodson, I skipped over. I knew I was looking for right. Somebody. He was the only defensive player to win it, or at least in, in at least like 60 or 70 years or something. Right. Maybe somebody won it back in like the World War II era that played like linebacker. But you're right. I mean, and it's like you sit there and you even even history way before that. Even history has told you only two Heisman Trophy quarterbacks have ever won a Super Bowl: Roger Staubach and Jim Plunkett. That's it. And Jim Plunkett was having a—he was kind of having a, a, a tough early part of his career in the NFL when he first got to the NFL. He won the award at Stanford. The first part of his NFL career was bumpy ride. Then the Raiders picked him up, and they revitalized his career. He won two Super Bowls with the Raiders. Jim Plunkett's not even in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, you sit there and you sit there and go, what? And so Cam Newton, since Jim Plunkett in 1983 or whenever they won their last Super Bowl, I think it was 83, only Cam Newton is the only other Heisman Trophy quarterback that got to a Super Bowl. Joe Burrow. Oh, and Joe Burrow last year. That's right. I'm sorry. So before last year, it was only Cam Newton. By the way, I wouldn't have known that if I didn't look it up. Okay, yeah, and I, I, you, I just wasn't. I was thinking for, right before last year. Yeah, so think about that. So, and now you're giving it to just. It, it, it's almost. I I would refuse if they told me if I was a quarterback <laughs> and they said, "Hey, you're one of the three finalists." I, I said, "I'm it. backing out. I don't want it because I want I an NFL want career, bro." You right. give it, put, give somebody else my slot, bro. I don't want to be anywhere near that award. I don't want to be the because the, the, the your, your only future. The only future you have if you win that award as a quarterback now is doing a Dr. Pepper commercial after you're a bust or whatever that Nissan commercial where they're all the Heisman house. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But and then look who's look who's those past Heisman's Barry Sanders. When when you look at the running backs, yeah, not many of them were busts. Tony Dorsett. I mean, the, the, yeah. the running backs don't miss. The, the I running mean, backs I wasn't hardly miss. Fan, but 
Reggie Bush had an amazing NFL career. He had a very solid NFL Ron career. Ron Dane had a very good NFL career. Yes. Ricky Williams had a legendary NFL career. Absolutely. Eddie George, same. Same. Uh, and you got to go all the way back to 1994. Rashawn Salam was a bust. Okay. That's one. That's one very Bear, few. The Bears took him. So trust yep. me. I know. Right. He was terrible. So the the award. Who won it before him? Kajana Carter? Before, uh, let me see. Uh, and he just got hurt. Kajana Carter was going to be a great NFL football player, and he just he took, bent that leg back. 1992, Gino Toretta. Gino Toretta. There's a quarterback that busted. <laughs> I thought Vinny that Testaverde was a... had a decent career. Vinny won it, right? Uh, yeah, Vinny Testaverde did win it. Uh, Doug Flutie won it. He had a good career. Yeah, he, he had a good career. Herschel Walker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, do you, how do you become a laughing stock? That's hilarious. There you go. So yeah, man, it, it's a the award. At one time, was like the bell of the ball, and it, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, which I believe to be a lot of mitigating factors, it's really lost a lot of steam. And so I hope that Caleb Williams can kind of continue in the Joe Burrow, Cam Newton side of this thing. Devontae Smith is having a great career. Sure. Uh, Derrick Henry's having a great career. Derrick Henry's back. had a, a Hall of Fame level career from the running back position. So I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of upsides to running backs winning the award there traditionally hasn't been a lot of upsides to quarterbacks winning the award. And so, you know, kudos to him. All those kids deserve the nomination. Don't get yep. me wrong. I thought Stetson Bennett is the, the most, I think he's the most untalented quarterback I've ever seen at the number one position for a team in the country, but he's earned it through perseverance. I don't knock him for, you know, earning a spot. I just don't like him as a talent. I think uh, Max Duggan is a solid quarterback. We'll see where he goes. And I think C.J. Strout is another, you know, Ohio State quarterback who I don't know what he can do until you get him to the next level. So right. Duggan kind of reminds me of a Mariota, maybe a little stronger, but I just don't know if he'll translate into the NFL as a as a as a really good quarterback. Right. So I don't I don't know who we'll see. I wish not all those guys nothing but the best of luck because they're good. They all appear to be good young men. Yeah, they do good solid stories, and we need more of those in NFL yeah. at the rate things are going. So hats off to those kids. Um, where they want to go, let's talk about some of the places where they want to go and some of the storylines. Uh, I'm going to read you some storylines, and you tell me which one appeals to you more, and we'll jump on that. I'm going to read four of them for you. Brock Purdy takes down Brady. The Lions roar back, and now five out of six wins. They're now in playoff contention. Geno goes full Geno. And the Chiefs blow out the the Chiefs blow out the Broncos only to survive at the end. Which one of those appeal to you first? Say the first one again. Brock Purdy takes down Tom Brady. I mean, that's the one. You know, that's the one. That's the most unpredictable one because you're sitting there, even if you're not just a Niner fan, if you're the Niner front office, if you're the Niner guys on the team, you sit there, we ain't going through this again, right? We just started rolling with Jimmy G. This guy snaps his ankle. And, you know, hey, this guy's on our team. We're going to support him. But then you could go out there and see him finish the game that Garoppolo got taken out of. And then you go see him start. And not just start, but put, you just put, you know, right. that San Francisco offense in a place where they now they're going, oh wow, where did this guy been? And to beat the, the goat, I mean, this guy was 11 months old when Tom Brady started hammer playing. Hammer him, not beat. Hammer. I mean, hammer the goat like that, and to figure out, maybe to figure out, like, hey, we're good enough. 
we're good enough at the position at this position because we're so good all around it and everybody believes in everybody that's the good part if him taking over this deep into the season there's so much belief in that team and i i called it weeks ago too it this is funny two weeks ago when i was in vegas doing uh the 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 comedy out there at the laugh factory i bought a three-team parlay ticket fifty dollars i took the niners to win the nfc the Bengals to win the AFC and the Niners to win it all on the same ticket. 50 bucks pays around 1365 or something. If it comes in now, literally I bought the ticket and the next game, uh, you know, Garoppolo Garoppolo breaks them. You gotta be kidding me. Then I see this pretty guy. And now I'm sitting here going, Hey, this thing's still very well alive. And, um, so I like, I've said it, I said it weeks ago, man, a long time ago. I, I thought it was going to be Niners and Buccaneers, the way the Buccaneers looked in Germany and the way they were coming around. But now that team has just proven that mm. they just don't have enough anywhere. Yeah, around. They, they just don't have enough. And so it looks like a Niners, Eagles, NFC, well, you know, Minnesota's a fraud. Can, can the Cowboys still have to, they, they fraud, still have to prove, fraud, they still have to prove to me. Fraud. The Cowboys you know, can't beat the 49 They still have to, no, they still have to prove to me. And so uh, it looks like a two-team race in the NFC. And uh, there's a lot of good teams in the AFC, uh, especially those top three. When you look at Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, in my opinion, are the three best built playoff teams. Um, you know, the, the, the Ravens keep winning games, but anybody other than Mitch Trubisky quarterbacking yesterday and, and the Steelers win that game. Um, and they're in a tough situation with Lamar and then Al Hunley, their backups out. So uh, I just think the AFC has come down to mostly a three team race. And maybe if somebody on that outlier catches fire, maybe a Chargers, you never know. They get a couple of bodies back and Herbert can carry them on their back. Uh, They've got so much demons to exercise, though. Mm. Um, And so I kind of feel, and now you see the kind of, maybe the Dolphins are a little more overrated than they thought. Uh, You know, uh, the the Jets, the the Patriots have come down to earth as well. Um, Poor Mike White. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, and wife. so uh, so that's where I, you know, that's where I think it's sitting. So I would say, but Purdy is what's yours out of those three? I got to take it's Purdy for me, too, because I knew, yeah. Gino, I knew what Gino was going to turn into. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, man, people need to be they need to relax on the Purdy train. I think what he's done has been fantastic to be the last pick in a draft and to to be able to just ha- hold his own. What do they call that? Mr. Irrelevant? Mr. That pick? Irrelevant. Yeah. The fact that he's able to hold his own has been remarkable. But I will tell you, this is Kyle Shanahan working his magic. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're talking about the same Kyle Shanahan, I think, passed the ball four times in a playoff game because what was working was working. But I, here's how here's how good the 49ers are, though. Even if, you know what? Even if Brock Purdy had a bad game yesterday, the 49ers still win that 10 to 7. Because the Buccaneers only scored Correct. seven points. They still win Correct. it 14 to 7. Matter of fact, is that's the kind of play. So this is a great game because the the the, the, the playoff game isn't gonna you're not gonna see 35 to 7. You know what you're gonna see? No. 17, 14, 14, 10. And that's where they wanna be. So all Purdy has to do is not give the ball away. I thought one of the better things about what we saw wasn't necessarily his ability to be able to complete passes or, or make, make plays with his feet. Their playbook didn't change Mm-mm. at all from Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy. And I think that's the part about the comfort level 
that allowed the team to just kind of go, okay, we all right. This guy can do the same plays Jimmy can do. So we know how to win with Jimmy. And so it wasn't like, okay, now this guy's a runner or this guy's a bomber. It was literally, this guy plays exactly like Jimmy Garoppolo. So just keep doing this and we'll be okay. And as much as he's getting all that attention, we know what the Niner defense does. It holds you to seven points, oh. 10 points, 13 points, if you're lucky. But as all the, all the attention Purdy's getting is, nobody's focused on how great McCaffrey was yesterday. Unbelievable. And if that gets even better, if McCaffrey starts putting them yards together like he was in his early days in Carolina, mm-hmm. now you've got a, he, he's a, he's a, he's a receiving threat. He can go get you know 150 running yards threat. from scrimmage on both uh, on both ways of running the ball and catching a ball. And now even with Samuel going to be out a few weeks, boy, they've got all kinds of different options. So under the radar is Christian McCaffrey going, hey, look, man, watch out for me to have a, a, a at least finish these last four weeks and a, you know with an MVP style finish. So they're a handful. I mean, I, I wouldn't want I, I, if I. I wouldn't want to have to play this team, Brock Purdy or not. I would not want to play this 49er team. I think the speed and physicality that they've shown on the defensive side of the ball and the consistency that they've shown on the offensive side of the ball has been Kyle Shanahan's recipe since he got to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see that changing. I think that they're playing the the second best football in the NFL right now as a whole only behind Philadelphia. So I I think I mean they play the- Seattle, Washington at home. At Seattle, they've come back down to earth. At Seattle, they'll stop that offense. Washington mm-hmm. at home, they'll be able to win that game. At Las Vegas, the way the Raiders are going, and then home to Arizona. I mean, they could win out with you and me playing quarterback on that team. And 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 they might they might win out, but I tell you what, we'll be able we'll be around to find out. Brown and Lawhead, we'll Peace. see y'all tomorrow. My dear 1090, like, share, and subscribe. Peace.